Welcome to What's Next in Web3, where we look at the impact of Web3 on all areas of our life. This show is for entrepreneurs, builders, and consumers who want to discover the latest innovations in Web3 and learn where to build next. I'm your host, Brittany, Executive Director of the Stacks Foundation. Stacks makes it possible to build more with Bitcoin. To learn more, check out stacks.co. Each week, we are joined by expert builders in different industries to understand what can be built next. Shows are hosted weekly on Twitter Spaces, so join us live next time by following Stacks on Twitter. Now, it's time for the show. Welcome. Um, I'm Brittany from the Stacks Foundation, and uh, today, you know, we just want to take a closer look at video. You know, at, at Stacks, we're building technology on Bitcoin. And I think Dan Held recently said, you know, like right now we're thinking of like the most popular use cases and thinking about how to port them back to Bitcoin or even just to like Web3 for that matter. So the reason I wanted to talk to you, Doug, is just around video, especially streaming video. It's like one of the largest areas of web consumption. And so far, there haven't been like that many um, things built specifically for video. You know, we have NFTs and JPEGs. But it seems like there's a huge opportunity here. So I wanted to just get your take on this. Um, hopefully people on the call can hear about opportunities, where they could be building businesses, where they could use LivePeer, where they might be using Stacks, or any of these Web3 technologies to kind of bring this vision to life of you know decentralized, censorship-resistant, accessible video to more people. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to have you introduce yourself and kick off kind of just a quick intro to what LivePeer is. Yeah, thanks for setting the table, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to to be here. And uh, you know, I've known some of the Stacks core team for you know years and years, but uh, really excited to have the chance to actually engage more with the the community for one of the first times. So great to great to be here. I'm Doug Pekanics. I'm one of the co-founders of a project called LivePeer which is about six years old. And our mission um, the entire time has to be, been to build the world's open video infrastructure. Um, have a bunch of experience as a software engineer and entrepreneur prior to this. And one of the recent experiences really got burned by building our business on the, um, the closed big tech platforms and APIs of Twitter, Google, Facebook, and Pinterest. And after them all changing their, their APIs and their um, kind of developer terms of service on us mid-flight, um, and building relationships directly with our customers. We, we swore that off and said, never again will we be beholden to um, building on these big tech platforms, open source only, please. And um, we're really excited about video and, and really excited to try and build an open alternative video infrastructure. And so um, the LivePeer network is a network for developers to use that want to put video in their applications. So if you're a developer, you're building something that looks like a Twitch or a YouTube or a you know creator-centric application that can leverage video like a TikTok, then you can use the live peer network and the suite of products around it and the software to power do all the heavy lifting to power the video to make video work well over the internet for your users. Uh, video is eighty percent of the bandwidth consumption on the internet. It's one of the most you know engaging forms of of media and fastest growing forms of of media. One of the biggest markets as well. And so, um, you know, really important and really, really powerful that your network uh, handles this. And it's coordinated by a 
blockchain network and incentive mechanism currently um, deployed on the Arbitrum network, actually. And what that that uh, kind of smart contract based protocol does is it incentivizes all of these node operators around the world who have excess compute power to um, put it on the live peer network to be available to do um, video transcoding and encoding to run the software that can do ingestion and delivery um, and to form this this video infrastructure network. Um, it secures their work and it settles payments to them. But you know, relevant to the, the Stacks community, the Bitcoin community, other blockchain communities is that on the demand side, if you want to use this network as a developer, uh, you're not uh, you know, restricted to any particular crypto or blockchain ecosystem or network. Anyone can use this, whether you're using it through a hosted API, whether you're interfacing with this network um, directly, uh, no, no video ever touches the blockchain. And so we're really cross-platform, cross-chain. And uh, yeah, a lot, a lot to get into. I'll pause there for the moment, but that's the uh, brief intro to me and life here. That's great. Well, you know, I think you already touched on, you know, some of the things I want to talk about is like the one, you know, I was reading the stat that like video streaming is projected to be a $1.7 trillion market cap by 2030. Um, that's like almost, I think like triple the size of what it is today. Um, you also mentioned 80% of the web bandwidth is currently for streaming. Like these are like really large chunks of, of the internet and being able to use open protocols, I think is like the vision. Um, but I want to kind of talk about maybe some more of the problems you mentioned, you know, you had a, a company before that ran into these, but, you know, I see like all of video content being housed in places like Amazon cloud or Facebook, you know, meta, um, servers or Google servers on YouTube seems to be kind of like a big risk, um, you know, kind of goes against the censorship resistance. But what are the other challenges that you've seen from, you know, why people may want this decentralized alternative? And then also maybe the challenges of just building this, because like, I think transcoding is maybe new to anyone who's not familiar with the video category, but it might be good to just give them a, a preview of why this doing done in a decentralized way is so different? Yeah, really good question. You know, why does it matter that a video infrastructure is decentralized and, and built on these Web3 technologies, right? I think there's there's two ways of looking at it. One of them is sort of this, um, this open and independence perspective. So video over the internet is very difficult, right? We're like 30 years into the, the journey of media over the internet, and it's still difficult to get a video stream <laughs> to work reliably without buffering um, to you know, many people around the world. And part of the reason for that is because there's just this, you know, video is a very heavy form of media. It requires a lot of bandwidth. And then to deliver it to all the different device types, um, to people on different connection speeds, you have to actually have to do a ton of processing on the video in real time to convert that initial high definition video that's captured at the, the source of the stream into many different formats and bit rates so it can be delivered to all these different device types and connection speeds. And you have to do that processing really fast and it requires a lot of compute, right? Under, you know, under a second or two um, if you're gonna you know, deliver this video live without um, you know, buffering and delay. And so uh, in order to do that, if you're building a, a social app that looks like Twitch, you need a ton of compute just standing by that's idle and available in order to be ready to encode any any user goes live, you need a computer standing there ready to do that encoding. You, you might need a GPU, which is a special purpose 
form of processing standing by to do that encoding. And um, that's really challenging to build yourself. And if you don't build it yourself, it's really expensive to actually use someone that can provide that for you. And as a result, who are the only, you know, couple of providers out there that can actually do video well at scale for live streaming? It's unsurprisingly Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud, right? Microsoft Azure, the big public cloud um, infrastructures. Uh, and because of that, you see a couple of effects. One, it's very expensive. They charge a huge markup, not only on their marked up servers, but then on their video specific services on top of that. So you find that, you know, if you want to do video encoding for a live stream, it costs $3 per hour per stream. That's really prohibitive for a startup if you're letting hundreds of users go live and start streaming it at any one time, right? The, the thing that's, so cost is a, a big issue. We can talk about how live peer addresses that, but maybe even more importantly is just the idea of like openness, user control and independence. So if you're building a streaming application, you're trying to innovate on something for creators, something for musicians, something for artists, something for communities, you're, you're in a way competing with, you know, the big, big tech streaming platforms, YouTube and Twitch, right? But who owns YouTube and Twitch? Well, it's, it's Google and Amazon, the same people that run the only infrastructures that are available for you to run on. So video infrastructure is expensive. You're paying you know, 90% of your income that you're making in your app directly to Google and Amazon, who happen to also own the apps you're competing with, uh, Twitch and YouTube. And that is just not a sustainable place for a, a startup or any company to be. And I think um, you know, you're seeing the effects of monopoly power. You're seeing the effects of kind of the price um, you know, controls that they, they put on that. And the world needs an open and independent uh, alternative that's actually far more cost effective. And that's what, you know, live peer network and other web three networks that, you know, handle things like storage and other forms of compute also represent. Um, I know that there was a long winded explanation there. There's kind of the, the web three feature side, which I'm happy to get to, but I'll happy to pause there if you want to dig into anything. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, um, I know we have a lot of builders in our community. They're thinking about, okay, well, maybe I don't want to build the next Twitch. Um, maybe that isn't the reason I'm, I'm thinking about video, but you did touch on, you know, creators trying to develop new products or services and this being like a tool that they can use. You know, they don't necessarily need huge scale, but they may not want to use centralized servers or some of these um, very expensive platforms to do it. So I'm just curious, like, if you've seen in decentralized video, like people using this to date, are there like applications um, people are thinking about now that use this type of tooling that you think are like distinct or unique or, you know, maybe people should just go check them out as well. Yeah, absolutely. So that gets into kind of the second part I was getting to is what what's uniquely enabled? What are the Web3 centric features that are possible here that, you know, you might not get if you're you're using Amazon, right? And and yeah, if you look at some of the applications that are built on LivePeer, Today, you'll see examples of these things. So um, LivePeer processes about three to four million minutes of unique video um, per week. So that means there's hundreds of streams of video flowing through the network at any, any given time. They come from apps like Huddle01, which is a um, Web3-centric Zoom alternative. And so it has kind of 
Web3 native features that are more appealing for DAOs, Web3 communities, crypto projects, such as your identity is your, your wallet and your on-chain um, identity for login. Your, that can be associated to your kind of a non-profile picture instead of your you know, corporate identity. If you want um, users live here to broadcast the meet, these meetings to many viewers, if you want to, you can control access to who views these videos via what tokens or NFTs you hold in your wallet, as opposed to in the traditional world where you would use something like DRM, which is this super proprietary um, closed technology built into browsers. Um, so so that, that's kind of examples on kind of unique Web3 primitives for identity, for access controls around video, right? On the other hand, you see great creator apps like um, the 402, which is a recent Y Combinator grad or Bonfire, which is about um, kind of deep NFT integration where creators have the ability to uh, create video NFTs and mint them and uh, have interactions with their users based on them, whether it's selling them or whether it's um, controlling access to video content and video drops based on, uh, you know, what NFTs are held in, held in a wallet. Um, so these are really interesting primitives for creator monetization. Um, you even see kind of traditional media, type efforts like there's a great radio station in Brooklyn called the lot radio that streams 24 seven um, on their website uh, using live peer. And, and they're super interested in experimenting with some of these new web three based community mechanisms and DAOs and whatnot. And so it's, you know, this is more on the product side, but it's how do you use the uniquely disruptive things that web three enables to create new uh, video centric experiences. And that's where I think we'll see a lot of innovation to come in the coming you know, six months. Yeah, and I, I know you kind of, um, you previewed this actually in a great blog post. Um, I, I think I tweeted out a link to it earlier, but I'm happy to put the link back into just about this killer social media app. And I think it's taking, you know, what you see as um, possibilities now that, you know, tooling exists in the video streaming, but also um, looking back at all of the things that have distinguished Web3 to date, like applying those together and thinking about like where, this could go or like what's even the immediate next thing that you think someone could be building because I'm with you I think like there can be a killer social media app even more so with all this disruption happening with Twitter there's just like an open market to make something more accessible open decentralized so I'd love to kind of dig in on you know what's your thesis there and what do you what do you think is possible that you'd like someone to build yeah, good question. So I guess I'm starting with um, I'm starting with the premise that I I don't think Web 3s killer breakout social app is going to be a clone of the existing Web two social giants that we see. So I don't I don't think just Web three Twitter um, picks up enough steam and momentum to displace Twitter. I don't think Web three YouTube picks up enough steam and momentum to displace YouTube. If it's just a feature for feature clone built on web three infrastructure. I don't think the you know, users would leave their distribution and their monetization of those platforms simply for, for a clone. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think it's like distribution is king and I don't think any new platform is gonna like dominate that very quickly. Um, also, I think right. just looking, you know, historically at like what apps kind of took off, um, you know, Twitter was very different when it came out and a lot of people thought it was kind of stupid. It didn't replicate anything that existed. And I think that was part of its success. 
Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it will be these like mass market things. It'll look like something totally different and maybe it will go mainstream, kind of like Twitter did. It used to be about yep. tweeting your lunch and now it's about a lot more. Um, but yeah, I think it's like, you know, people think social media, they think automatically of Twitter and, and Facebook. Yep, exactly. I, I completely agree with that. And, you know, TikTok didn't look just like Snapchat or didn't look just like YouTube. It was a totally new paradigm. And it's the fastest scaling app of all time as a result of this yeah. new media format. Right. So, and it, when I yeah, think about, and it started like, as like people singing lip syncing songs. Like that was like the genesis of like what is now TikTok. <laughs> it wasn't about like sharing and social media and stuff. It was kind of like taking this just like almost utility tool to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like I, that brings me to a good point, which is like TikTok alone was an interesting utility based tool for a single user. Like one user could open that app and could get utility by capturing a video themselves, lip syncing a song for fun and then sharing it out to their friends outside of the application. Right. And, and, it was, it was only after many users started doing that, that you actually build up a network effect um, of, you know, being able to friend and follow those users and applying algorithms to make recommendations. Um, and this follows like a kind of a pattern that I think Chris Dixon from A16Z wrote about pretty well called come for the tool, stay for the network, where it's like all these apps start as tools that have a great single player mode. Like Instagram started as bourbon and it was just filters for your photos. Great, you download the app and you use it and you can apply these cool filters and your photos look better. Great. Or, you know, Strava, one of my favorite social apps, the most positive social network on the planet, started just as a fitness tracker, right? But it was as many people were tracking their fitness, you could create a follower graph and now you can reinforce one another's workouts and you're, it's really sticky as a result and it's grown a lot as a result, right? And so when I think about what's, you know, what the Web3 uh kind of killer social application is going to be, you can't just start by trying to clone an existing one. You need to start with a tool that solves a real problem um, for users. And I actually think the community that you could be targeting is just this enormous growing kind of online digital first blockchain web three connected community, right? It's growing every single day. There's more and more people that are building in this space, creating in this space, exploring and learning. And there's so many problems that they face when it comes to online content and media that are just begging to be solved in sort of a, a single player mode, right? And I think that um, that's a great starting point for creating the, uh, the killer social application is just solving a content-related problem for Web3-centric um, communities and, and the world, right? And then and I think that um, those solutions are even supercharged and they're actually truly unique if they make use of some of the things that have been truly disruptive and unique via blockchain connected um, innovation so far. So I think there's, there's really, you know, four obvious ones and probably a bunch of smaller ones, but I think the obvious ones are kind of permissionless global crowdfunding uh, open and permissionless uh, financial system, uh, kind of digital ownership, and then a collective global coordination, or said another way, you know, ICOs, DeFi, NFTs, and DAOs. And so if you're solving a problem for like these online Web3 communities, and you're able to leverage those, like one or multiple of those four disruptions, you... Um, 
literally are doing something unique for a new and growing market. And that's a, that's a great starting point for an app. So, um, you know, just one example, one idea mm-hmm. that I have that I think is interesting is just there's no safe and reliable home to organize the content around a specific project, right? Like uh, you could tell me what the Stacks ecosystem is doing, but um, many projects or DAOs have no choice but to like create a YouTube channel and just organize all of their content there. But they often suffer from being deplatformed, um, you know, taken ahead of search. Um, they're, they're hosting it and putting it on Google in the first place. It's not really on their website. It's hard to find, et cetera. Um, I think that just creating a content management system that's video based for all of the content that projects are putting out through their community calls, their Twitter spaces, their, um, their community, you know, their community events, their core dev calls, et cetera, um, is a missing product that would get easily easy adoption within a, uh, a DAO. And it could be, you know, that content could be organized. It could be token gated. It could potentially, um, have monetization attached if that was important for that type of content. And I think it would be again, like an easy starting point and yeah, happy to, to get into how that could expand into a, a big social application or network. Yeah, well, I I love this and I feel very seen as like a Web3, you know, our organization, we do post videos to YouTube, we're hosting this on Twitter, we use Zoom, we use Google Meet, Um, there's all these tools that we use. And, you know, I don't think that's natively bad, but I do cringe when I see our YouTube videos have these ads at the front of them, which we have no control over, (laughs) no connection to, um, you know, sort of monetizing on behalf of Google um through youtube and you know it's just kind of outside of our control it does feel very weird to like you know be kind of channeling a lot of traffic there and then of course there is like a lot of um you know a lot of these central platforms want to de-platform things like crypto they won't let you mention it they won't let you sort of talk about it or you're not able to monetize it or send newsletters if you even mention crypto even if you're like us where we're a technology, we're promoting the technology, uh, we're a nonprofit foundation doing that. And it can be pretty frustrating to say, like, these are the best tools that we have. So a safe home for, you know, all that digital content, I'm, I'm very on board for. So I hope people listening are jumping in on this idea. But I, I would like to hear, you know, how does that lead to a social network? Because that's just, you know, more of a database, that's not, um, or a platform to host, like, how does that become social or how does it leverage some of these other things you mentioned that are native to Web3? Yeah, re- like really good question, right? It starts with that, like start for the, come for the tool, stay for the network, right? So imagine the Stacks community or the live peer community just using this, this CMS in order to um, publish and organize and distribute, you know, content about our project to our community, right? But imagine there. Um, kind of the Web3 native features of this are like wallet-based login, right? So as users maybe want to comment on that content or, you know, register for an upcoming event or whatnot, they're, they're doing it through their wallet. They're associated with their online um, identity, like their dot, you know, dot BTC or dot ETH or dot ID um, kind of online name, right? And they're, they're, content history, their comments and whatnot are associated with that wallet. And now you imagine they participate in multiple platforms or multiple communities, right? So there's lots of users of the live peer community might also participate 
in um, you know the Arweave community or the IPFS community, and kind of as they bring their identity from one community to another that happens to be using this this CMS, kind of their their reputation, their identity, their content history comes with them. And you know we can get into curation in a minute, but if you imagine a bunch of communities are all independently using and getting value out of this tool, how there's an opportunity for the kind of broader social app to put a curation layer on top and to surface, hey, what are the, what, what's the most interesting upcoming events um, that are going to be live streamed today in, you know, in the blockchain space? Hey, what, what pieces of content were put out yesterday across projects that everyone needs to know about? What, what are the hottest and most trending things, right? You can imagine putting this curation layer that puts sort of a homepage of this network on top of all of these independent kind of open uh, content libraries. And now all of a sudden you have what's maybe the, uh, you know, the best entry point for discovering relevant media in the blockchain space as your, your entry point. And that's an app that people return to every day and kind of the, their identity associated with their interaction with all of this content being the, the thing that creates the, uh, the network effect and the follow graph and notifications across projects and, and whatnot. And, you know, you don't leave this to go to another platform because you you have um, you know built up so much in your your identity and reputation within this one and creates a bit of a network effect for growth despite all the content being open and accessible and controlled by the individual like sub communities itself in true decentralized Web three form. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally would love that. Like, you know, it's hard to keep track of. You know, if you're part of multiple DAOs, like you're constantly in and out of different frameworks, you know, there's multiple, you know, if you want to participate in governance and things like token voting, uh, you know, that's, we have a big vote coming up, we have a big upgrade coming with Stacks 2.1. And thinking about how we get the word out to all Stacks holders about voting, we use things like Twitter, and our newsletter, and we have all these traditional channels, but it'd be amazing if we could, you know, people are kind of opting in to come to this one place where they can get all the updates. You don't need to be on these social media apps. You can actually kind of manage it there. Um, and we could pair sort of like the information about voting along with like our blockchain developer calls. So if you want to kind of dive in deeper and get more information, it could be one spot. Because right now that kind of lives all over. Like you can go to YouTube and get the blockchain recorded calls, or you can go to GitHub to get the latest updates. But it's hard to kind of like put some of that stuff in one place. So I definitely think it's a UI issue that doesn't exist yet, but also just this idea of being able to port your identity across these different systems using things like wallets, which is what a lot of people use as their gated access into these networks and these DAOs. So I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> so I would love to do that. It kind of reminds me of like early Tumblr where I was like, yeah, Tumblr is like a, you know, you could go read people's blogs on Tumblr, but the back end where you could actually follow and subscribe different things was totally personalized to you. It was very easy to aggregate lots of con um, different content in one place. It was like a very cool UI at the time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you remember a product that was called Discuss. It was like a um, commenting platform for blogs back when blogs were still a thing and Twitter didn't displace it entirely <laughs> or when blog comments yeah. were still a thing and Twitter didn't displace it entirely. Um, but it was, it, you know, yeah. it let you bring your identity from, you know, blog to blog and your reputation from blog to blog. And, and that was a, a cool, powerful concept. I think we're missing the, the web three version of that 
if you will, yeah, across we'll all have these to, communities. <laughs> we'll have to pull that team out of retirement. That was actually an investment um, of ours at USV. So when I was at USV, we're investors in Discuss. You know, we've also we were also investors in Stacks. So kind of seeing those those layers of network effects. But what you know actually is very interesting about the Discuss business model that I could see useful here is that the way that they monetized was. You know, it was free to add comments to your blog. They would help with things like spam moderation and user identity. So you could kind of port your identity across blogs. But they also suggested other blogs you could check out. And so you could kind of get in front of the audience that you wanted based on what they were reading. And I think DAO recruitment or even like participation yep. recruitment could be huge. You know, you don't have to use centralized ads where you're like paying, you know, to get in front of people on a sponsored tweet. It's like, how could you just um, use that channel for people to like pay to get access to like the exact people they want to target. And it wouldn't be targeting based on like all this cookie data. It would be like opt-in, you know, based on behavior, based on DAOs they belong to, um, some of those things. And you never actually need to know who the person is. You just are targeting them based on content. Yeah, I, I, I love it. Even though we're using like, words with negative associations like you know t- targeting and and whatnot like the the notion is hey all of this uh data is what people choose to make publicly available what they choose to put on chain associate with their their online identity and, and engage with where they have they have control right and so um i think again always putting the the web3 filter the open filter the decentralized filter the user control filter on these design decisions are, is the uh, kind of product lens that you should build with as you're trying to build something that that succeeds in this space. Yeah. Yeah. And that's partially what put like discuss out of business is they weren't like cookie tracking and doing all the things that Google um, came in was able to do or able to offer. So, you know, it was like the old school, like, Hey, if you see this, you know, content, you might also like this content. Um, again, it was like a not the, algorithm wasn't based on who you are and all your activity. It was, it was basically like, if you go to this website, you're going to see this ad um, or this, this promotion sort of thing. So um, yeah, I, I know I'll get the <laughs> ads. We hate ads. I'm with you, but um, this maybe goes into the curation point. Cause I do think that there is this sense of like, how are we going to get more people into web three if they can't even find the information they need, or it's just so overwhelming. Like you, you get on Twitter, you see like 50 different NFT projects which one's right? Where do I go? I hop into their discord. There's hundreds of messages. Like I think curation is absolutely like something that's completely missing today. So I'd love to hear, yep. you know, I think that was like sort of the third step in this uh, social media app. Yeah. Yeah. I think, okay, this, this is both t- totally a, a viable independent idea on its own. And it also, you know, is an element that can be combined with the previous ideas to, to make them even more powerful as an example. But I think that curation is an often overlooked um, area that's actually critical to the success of, of media applications um, in the Web3 space in particular. So I mentioned, you know, we see a lot of YouTube clones or Patreon clones or whatnot, but they they always have this afterthought of like, well, wait, how like oh censorship is bad but actually we need curated content that appears on the homepage of the app you can't just have any arbitrary potentially harmful video be living on the front page of the the first thing that users see when they discover your web through youtube right and you you actually need curation and moderation um 
that is aligned with the values that the project, which is hopefully user owned, is agreed upon and is is running at kind of in their mission statement, right? And so I think independently, this notion of of building and, and refining like a create a curation DAO is an interesting opportunity for someone to build. It's you know it's a DAO. It's a it's a user owned collective of a group of people that are able to curate content according to a a charter or a mission statement and. Um, I think all of these media applications that are being built would be happy to like hire or pay for the service of that DAO in order to perform like the content curation and moderation necessary for their, the community they're building that app for to um, have a good experience. Right. And so mapping it back onto the example that I said before, if the mission is to surface the, um, you know, most informative, interesting, high quality, um, you know, content in the DeFi space, um, you know, within a particular, either the homepage of the application or like a sub-channel of the application, then I think what's that mean? Like the, the users in this curation DAO are just uh, kind of responsible for uh, curating the content according to that mission. And, you know, you have to, you have to devise this, but you need the right governance and economic incentives for them to be rewarded to continue to do a good job removed if they're not living up to the um the mission there but just think about the difference in experience of like a well curated source of information versus what we see today of like most recent uploaded video appears first and that's literally the difference between success and failure that's the difference between like user retention and engagement and you know retaining 90% of your users that watch on average, you know, 40 minutes of content a day versus, you know, losing 90% of your users due to a poor first experience and average users watching one minute of content a day. And and that's, you know, the sort of thing that we need in, in this space. So I think that sort of incentivized creator DAO concept is really interesting. Um, and it'd probably be easy to get like, you know, a social app as a design partner that would be a client of that, that DAO pretty quickly because it's such a need across the space. Yeah. It seems like there could also be like even competing curation DAOs, you know, like I, I so. want this type of curation, you know, based on these interests or like, you know, um, how we follow influencers or people who are just really good at creating certain types of content. It's like, great, I'm going to turn on this filter, you know, that's run by this DAO uh, versus, you know, a different lens. Like in the Stacks community, it's like, oh, I'm going to put on my Megapont lens. Like what is sort of the, the vibe of, of their... Um, content and their mission and and their brand and how does that feel different when I'm having the same content exposed to me versus you know like a crash punks like they're kind of different um, ways of viewing the world so I really I think that'd be really cool and I'm again out to the audience to hopefully get started on that stuff Um, you know just kind of changing gears a little bit so people now have the recipe for the killer app they're going to go build it but what are some of the other things, either related to video or uh, not related to video, that you'd like to see built in Web3, either like near term or like, you know, five years from now, you want to be using this tool? Um, so in, in light of recent events, I would just wish that there could be <laughs> any trustworthy financial institution that acts responsibly in this space um, that doesn't 
blow up or over leverage themselves or um, you know destroy the reputation of the industry but that that apparently is too much to to hope for so that makes me lean even deeper into the uh, you know the, the social the media the creator centric um, kind of non-financial elements of this space where we still have yet to see um, you know the, the true breakout success and, and impact enabled I, I think like like I know creator is, is kind of a buzzword, but it applies to so many different um, kind of types of, of contributors and participants in uh, society today, globally, right. Ranging from entertainment to education to, um, you know, develop like development and design. And I, I really just want to see the experiences that help these creators connect with communities that, you know, engage in experience with their work, if it's sort of like an artistic type creation or like the global world economy where they can like monetize their time and their skill um, in a permissionless and open way, right? And I think that's that's one of their other opportunity outside the media space I, I still think is really um, ripe for disruption. It's just the, hey, I have this, I have this skill, this expertise, and I can be available over video to help you solve a problem or to impart this, this wisdom or knowledge. And it should be open. It should be permissionless. It should be settled on financial rails. Um, and this could be so empowering for uh, people to tap into the global economy, regardless of their location um, or access to things like traditional banking. I, I love the example that Amazon has this platform called Mechanical Turk. And workers can do tasks to earn micropayments. Like you can classify an image if it's, um, you know, a certain type of content or not, and you'll earn a couple pennies for doing that. And then you're on to the next one, but it's literally only open to people in a very small subset of countries. And if you're not in one of those countries, you either can't be on the platform or you can't cash out local currency. You can only earn Amazon gift cards. How convenient, right? Like Amazon pays you and their own gift cards. You can spend the money back on Amazon. Um, Web3 should totally disrupt this. Like anyone should be able to, to engage in work and be paid for it regardless of where they are and regardless of Amazon's restrictions, right? And not only that, this would be the best onboarding tool to crypto of all time where anyone could actually earn Bitcoin um, without having any in the first place or without needing to be banked literally just for performing work or contributing their skill. So I'll stop ranting now, but I think that's an area I'm really excited about. <laughs> Yeah, I love that. And I think it actually kind of feeds into, you know, my follow up on that of just like, you know, how could people be using this with Bitcoin? And I think it is one of the easiest, most accessible worldwide. So, you know, you think of its adoption in um, El Salvador, it's, it's like very easy to see how you could easily um, have those like live video feeds, people are able to do certain bits of work, earn in crypto and, you know, use that as their on ramp. Um, you know, I think Axie Infinity had this big idea of like doing it with gaming, but I, I think the more practical and sustainable way is like, yeah, people want to work, they want to contribute, they want to create and like just making it so much easier to transact in the global marketplace is for me, I think one of the biggest things that crypto is doing, especially Bitcoin today. Yeah, well, I'm I, curious what's, wanna... what's been blocking that. Is it just UX? Is it just product development? I mean, it's really hard to bootstrap a global marketplace, right? But um, it seems like that should happen already, but I, I think we need more kind of 
application level product builders and, and designers and entrepreneurs to be focused on these um, you know, non-financial use cases to actually see them have a real shot. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think like, um, I might mispronounce it, SAMA source. They've been very focused on micro work in developing nations. I know they've done a lot of work in Haiti, um, you know, to provide almost that similar system. Um, so it's, I, I believe it's a nonprofit. They've been focused on that and they've done really well. I think that that's where it's like, if we can provide the tooling to services that already exist like that, they could expand their market because they're equally hindered by, you know, paying people in different currencies, getting banking relationships or payment rails relationships with different companies. So I do think there is some melding that's going to happen of existing businesses that already have the infrastructure on the ground to reach these audiences or these workers, but they just don't have the tools that they need. So it could be, you know, simply setting it up for them. Maybe there's a global tool that does it, or maybe it's just, hey, we want to build this for you because we think it's important and kind of creating what's needed and then seeing if there's a bigger business with it later. Yep. Yep. All right. So we're at about 40 minutes. So I just wanted to um, leave a little bit of time for questions. So if folks have questions, we can get into that. But before that, I wanted to just uh, make sure everyone here knew about live peer tooling. Where can they learn more? You know, as you mentioned, it's chain agnostic. This is a tool you can use whether you are in the ETH ecosystem or if you're in the Stacks ecosystem or, or whichever ecosystem you're in. So um, how would people get started if they wanted to use this? Yeah, thanks for asking. If you're a builder and you want to you know, build an application or, or integrate video into your application, the easiest place to get started is livepeer.studio. That's sort of our... our developer facing portal with documentation you can sign up and use a hosted gatewway for free as you get started um, so livepeer.studio check it out and if you're interested in kind of learning more about um, running a node on this network um, participating in the development of this visit livepeer.org um, the homepage for the product and project and the uh, discord community is a great welcoming um, community to answer any questions or get started yeah, and you guys have a really cool way where you can contribute to transcoding and um, contributing compute and earning live peer tokens. So another great way to be part of a network, even if you don't have that killer app built yet. <laughs> um, That's right. Yeah, you know, I think this in tandem with with Stacks, you know, at Stacks Foundation, we offer grants um, to people building new infrastructure. I would love to see a better integration with some of the live peer tooling. Um, you know, maybe you could get started on that DAO tooling with the video streaming so we could be your first customer um, or even just learning clarity, learning how to write some smart contracts and figuring out ways that you could integrate more um, of these ideas into applications and services. I think that would could be a really great combination of, of our communities and this vision of bringing more video streaming uh, to the decentralized web, not just in the centralized place. So thank you for sharing that. Um, if you're interested in Stacks, check out stacks.org. And uh, where, you know, where should people find you, Doug? I know they're on here, but what's your best approach? Twitter? Yep. Yeah. Follow, follow me on uh, Twitter right here. It's my last name at Pitcanix. You probably can click on my little uh, icon here and, and press follow. And um, yeah, in the, in the Discord, if you join the Live Peer Community Discord, I'm, I'm DOB. So uh, yeah, happy to, happy to talk with anyone who has ideas, help you get started building. Thank you so much, Doug, for joining us. Thanks for everyone in the audience and for the questions. Um, definitely follow Doug, dob.eth, 
Maybe we'll get him a BNS name soon um, on Twitter for any follow-up questions. And if you're interested in learning more about building any of this stuff on Stacks, check out stacks.org and check out our grants program. Great. Thanks so much, Brittany. Thanks, everyone. See you later. Thank you.